You're listening to Tech Talk Central. Within the scope of the eHealth Forum held in Athens between 3rd and 4th of December 2015, we asked a few prominent eHealth stakeholders on policies and strategies regarding interoperability frameworks, national health strategies and the digital single market amongst other things. Brian O'Connor from Chair for ECH Alliance, Catherine Kornacki, Secretary General at HL7 International Foundation, and George Crooks, Medical Director for NHS24 Scotland, responded to a few of our questions regarding European e-health companies have a huge potential to grow by approaching a never-growing market inside and outside EU borders. Apart from the obvious innovation potentials in a broad number of health and patient care sectors, markets like that of the US, Latin America and China are coming closer due to international agreements. We asked them what they consider as opportunities for European e-health companies. Listen to what they had to say. Well, again, it, to some extent, it comes back to standards and interoperability, but it also comes back to reimbursement systems in different countries, because that has a significant impact on whether your particular, say, piece of software is actually applicable. So you look at uh, Canada, its uh, systems at the moment are much more compatible with many of the countries in Europe because they often have a single payer system which indeed many European countries have. Whereas if you look at the US and compare it, there, of course, you've got uh, the Affordable Care Act, better known as Obamacare, mm-hmm. and you've got a uh, the, the different um, health insurance companies and the emphasis on that. So I think, I know industry, because I talk to them all the time, are very selective in where they choose. So let's take an example. A US company wants to come to uh, Europe. Mm-hmm. So the first thing it has to decide is which country should it start in? So we are finding even within our own organization of the ECH Alliance, where we represent companies on both sides of the Atlantic, um, we have to be very direct in our advice to these companies. Don't think you can just arrive in Europe with something because it works in America. Yeah. It has to be customized. And our strong advice usually to American companies is to start usually in an English-speaking country, which could be, for example, UK, because uh, that's one barrier you don't have to overcome, though one could argue as to whether American Americanisms and Englishisms, uh, actually, people understand each other. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, tomatoes, tomatoes, all that sort of stuff. So, True. But that would be our first piece of advice. The second is, go and f- remember that their system in America is, as I said earlier, dependent on, very often, on outcomes rather than on process. So more and more physicians in America and hospitals are paid by the outcomes that that happens to their patients. Whereas in the UK, for example, um, doctors and others get paid largely on the basis that they've treated someone. So there's a huge difference in the approach to payments. So you have to customize and you have to um, adjust your particular product, which may be brilliant, but you've got to adjust it to the reimbursement system and therefore be very careful coming across thinking that you can just literally put it in a suitcase and bring it over. It doesn't work like that and vice versa. So at the moment, we're recommending just last week quite a number of our companies in, the, in Europe to actually start in Canada because Canada's system is so much more like 
uh, UK and other, mm-hmm. let's call them socialist type systems in in Europe. Mm-hmm. So it, there are huge opportunities, but bluntly, it's never as easy as it looks in the first look. Yeah. So uh, yes, just be careful uh, and follow some advice. I would say, being Greek, that uh, for many years now I have seen uh, Greek companies uh, uh, wetting their feet in the Chinese market, and I'm very proud of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we constantly feel that we are, you know, lagging behind, but um, you know, Greece is always um, looking out, mm-hmm. right? We we sometimes look in and complain, but we also have uh, this tendency. Of, of looking at what our people, other people are doing and saying that they are doing better than we do. Mm-hmm. You know, we sometimes look um, down on ourselves, but uh, I think we do have this need to understand other people, other practices, and, and, and get the best of them. So regulations and the health market is is a difficult thing because essentially what I could say is that sometimes regulations are prohibiting and and kind of blocking progress. Mm-hmm. So there was a story from the U.S. I read uh, recently that when they started with teleradiology in the 50, 50 so 51, 52 uh, U.S. states, uh, they they actually had to certify doctors in every single state. Mm-hmm. So you could have doctors, radiologists that would uh, um, that would read um, X-rays, and to do that, they had to go through a very rigorous and, and expensive process of getting certifications to be allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. In some way, uh, I think the digital secret market is trying to overcome this. Oh, I get it. Yes. And um, I think this is great. I have this idea that Greek people that are, you know, and we have a surplus of doctors right now mm-hmm. in Greece, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you could think of uh, of some of the excellent doctors that we have in Greece being able to work part-time in any member state where the waiting lists are, are so long that the actual health services are, are very, very low quality. I think they're not doing that, if I'm not mistaken. I don't hear a lot about Greek doctors moving out to other countries. They, they sort of, I don't know, are they afraid? They feel they won't be able to deal with the system? Well, there are people that are kind of going out and, and leaving Greece forever, right? Um, and there are offices that are facilitating this. I've heard about it. Mm-hmm. What I haven't seen is more of the digital single market concept mm-hmm. where you can actually work abroad. And, mm. and live in Greece or, or do the opposite. Yes. I think this is my vision of the single market. And, and this serves not only human capital, but also, uh, but also companies that, that kind of benefit of this larger market. Mm-hmm. Uh, to do that, we need to have a better transparency of the regulations. And, and, and this, is, this is part of what human interoperability would be to me, right? Mm-hmm. So interoperability can be seen from a system point of view, which is systems that have interfaces that are publicized and open and allow communication. Yep. But it should be also seen as transparency in the regulations so that we gradually move to the real single market 
where these regulations would be um, uh, compatible with each other and, and essentially more effective in delivering value to the citizens of Europe. Small companies have always found it difficult to get access to their own local health market. And to be brutally honest, um, the procurement regulations in Europe in the past um, were one of the major impediments to that. Mm -hmm. But of course, procurement law has changed. It's become more flexible. But a lot of our big health and care institutions don't keep up to date. Um, And we need to understand the art of the possible and what we can do. This isn't about doing anything that is wrong. This is not about bending or breaking the law. This is actually understanding how procurement can be a living and dynamic thing. Mm -hmm. Most regions and member states are now realising that pre-commercial procurement, the new methods of procurement, are the powerhouse for innovation and delivery. And SMEs are absolutely wonderful vehicles um, to participate in that providing the financial risk can be shared across the health and care providers, across government, across enterprise agencies and the small companies themselves. Because SMEs, we need to recognise, need very quick results, if not instant results. They don't have a huge amount of money locked away in a bank Mm -hmm. to tide them through the slow pace of change that most healthcare organisations are used to operating in. True. So for us, it's really about understanding this thing about risk sharing Mm -hmm. and making sure all the organs of state, particularly the enterprise and the business sector and the business um, departments within government, the European Investment Bank and the national investment banks, how they can all work together in a true collaboration to empower um, the new ways of procuring. Because through new procurement, we develop innovative solutions and innovative solutions develop sustainable health and care systems. Do you see an advantage for the European SMEs compared to that of America, to the US? Like language, um, different languages? I- one of one of the challenges that we have is that we always look across the Atlantic and think the grass is greener on the other side. <laughs> yes, um, true. In that it appears that Europe, uh, the US is much more dynamic, much more ready to take risk, um, much more able to attract investors um, to put money into what are regarded as risky solutions. And it's always thought that in Europe we are a little bit what would the word be like an elderly uncle, a little bit old fashioned, a little bit slow and very conservative. Mm -hmm. That's not my reading of the situation now. Um, We certainly probably were like that in the past, but things are changing. And there is a dynamic innovation system now flourishing across Europe. There are innovation centers springing up in most regions certainly most forward-thinking regions across Europe. And these are the powerhouses where these changes can take place, where money is being invested, real money. Millions of euros are being invested in, in taking this forward. Is it as fast as we would like? Probably not. But we're on a journey and we need to recognize that and we need to celebrate it and we need to encourage it.
You're listening to Tech Talk Central.